Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 43 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I am your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Harry Moser, founder of the Reshoring Initiative. Harry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us, man. It's great to be here. I, I'm, I'm honored, Paul. Thank you. Well, we're, you know, listen, you joined CNN, Fox, CNBC, and, and uh, you throw in the Rust Belt Rundown. That's a hell of a week. <laughs> the hell of a week so hey yep. Henry, listen let's jump in um let's let's start at the top you founded the reshoring initiative in 2009 uh in as simple or as complex of an answer as you'd like why was it necess- a necessary requirement for your organization to be founded well i'm going to break that down into two answers there's the personal and there's the sort of the, the national so per- personally for me i grew up in elizabeth new jersey and the biggest thing in town was Singer Sewing Machine. Their, their, their biggest factory in the world was there. And 100 years ago, 120 years ago, it was the biggest factory of any kind, any product in the world, two and a half million square feet, uh, 5,000 workers. My grandfather was foreman. My dad ran a third of the factory. I worked there summers. And I went past 20 years ago, and nothing is made there anymore, as far as I can see. Nothing of Singer product is made anywhere in the U.S., all wiped out by inexpensive foreign imports. And then during my career, I sold uh, CNC machine tools, foundry equipment, things like that. And industry after industry, company after company I wanted to sell to, went out of business before I could sell them anything, wiped out by cheap uh, imports. And so from a personal perspective, I said, somebody's got to do something. And for, but for, from a national perspective, by bringing back the work, we achieve uh, economic growth because manufacturing has a better multiplier effect. So you, when you employ manufacturers, you employ more other people than you do in any, any other category. Social stability, you know, things like income equality, a solid middle class brought back by manufacturing. Budget deficit, we've got a a trillion dollar or more budget deficit going on forever. Can't can't keep doing that forever. And putting all those people to work and all their companies making money pays off a lot of that deficit. Uh, having the industrial base to support defense. You know, the reason we won World War II is we outproduced the Japanese and the Germans. And the way we are now, we don't have the depth. We don't have the you know, the number of the amount of steel production and foundries and machining and everything else. We don't make a lot of the machine tools anymore, even. So just for the good of the country, uh, we need to bring manufacturing back. You've been, uh, you know, I mentioned it in the first question, but you've been making the rounds on various media outlets the past few months, including Fox Business, NBC, Wall Street Journal, things like that. How has taking the message of reshoring mainstream been beneficial to your organization? Because I think it is something that, you know, we may heard, you know, I'm 33, you know, maybe in the 90s, early 2000s, we heard, you know, a ton of uh, companies were offshoring or, you know, sending uh, or, or uh, you know, building factories in 
Europe or China, wherever it is, but we didn't really think of the ramifications down. So how has you being on those uh, shows been able to help you? You know, it helped me help the country, help, help the cause, so to speak. So, you know, we're a small group. We've got the equivalent of three people, something like that. So there's, there's a limit to how much message sort of on our own we can get out. But the uh, by being on Fox Business, NBC, CNBC, business executives, uh, all, all kinds of people around the boards of directors see that. And they say, wow, if 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 last year 260,000 jobs were brought back um, and my competitors are doing it, maybe we should take a look. Maybe we should see if, if we can do that also in our own self-interest and for the country. And then for the, so we want to get the attention of the OEMs, the boards of directors, and then uh, to get the attention of the government, which can do things to level the playing field, to make it easier for the companies to see that they'll be more profitable if they bring it back. Um, specifically with places like uh, Fox Business, CNBC, we're starting to work with various investment firms. So some of the bigger banks and analytical firms on Wall Street have come to us for our data. Some even pay us for it. And they, they then repackage it to go out to their clients. We have uh, private equity firms that have come to us and said, Harry, you know, we're buying up companies help us decide which companies will benefit the most from reshoring. And once we, once we acquire them, how do we direct them and guide them to get the maximum amount of reshoring? So it's, a, it's very beneficial to have those, that visibility. So the first half 2022 data report and the current projection for this year of jobs announced due to the reshoring project is around 350,000. Which is which will be a record year for you, up from 260 from last year. What do you attribute your two highest years on record to? Okay, and, and obviously it's not all just due to us. I mean, it's it's the trend. You know, ha Harry didn't have a hand in most of them. The uh, so so I break I break the the trend down into into two time periods. So first, we, we were founded in 2010, and uh, from then till about 2019, 2020, companies started to recognize that it wasn't that the grass wasn't always greener, you know, on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, like I, there's a professor at uh, you're, you're you're in Columbus, I think. Yep. Okay, professor at the Ohio State University, and John Gray, and he did a study. He looked at uh, uh, four companies, small to medium-sized companies that had offshored and then reshored. And he said, why did you offshore? And they said, the wages were so much less, the manufacturing cost was so much less, we, we, we couldn't afford not to do it. And we, then he said, okay, if it's that good, why did you reshore? He said, well, after we found how much more inventory we had to carry, uh, late deliveries, quality issues, travel, uh, late night telephone calls, intellectual property risk, on and on and on, it wasn't worth it. You know, we saved money on, at price level, but when you put the whole package together, it didn't work out. So, so from 2010 to 2020, it was that experiential uh, feedback from the issues that came up over the years. Now, from 21 and 22, it's disruptions. So first, you know, go, going even back further, people saw Fukushima, and and then and the Thai floods, and then all of a sudden you had COVID. 
and you had the Suez Canal blockage and Russia, Ukraine, and then stuff gets delayed for weeks and months. And and with with Russia, Ukraine, things could be delayed for six months or something. Mm -hmm. And and hanging over all of it now is China, Taiwan and companies saying, wow, there could be war over there. Yeah, could be. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it could be. And and if that happens, everything they have coming in from China and Taiwan is going to stop. For six months, a year, forever, who knows? And 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 therefore, if, if a company, it, it, you know, if they're smart enough to get up and put their pants on in the morning, they they should be saying to themselves, uh, what do we get from China directly? What comes into our supply chain in the U.S. from China and Taiwan? And if that stopped, would we exist? Would we be able to stay in business? And, and if the answer is no, and if you agree with me that there's a chance of this happening, then why wouldn't you bring back at least the 20 or 30 percent that you can bring back and not have any impact on your costs? Why not at least because because the more sources you have over here, more supply chain you have here. And even if you don't bring everything back, would you bring 20, 30, 40 percent back? Then if everything goes does go wrong, you've got more companies to go to and say, hey, I gave you the business three years ago when I didn't have to. I need you now to bail me out and make the things that I was still getting over there. So you, you've, got, you've got more resources, more sustainability. So that's my question, too. When we think of the term reshoring, is that a company bringing just shutting down their their factories overseas and bringing everything back? Is it everything in between? What does that look like? Well, it's, it's even it's. It, it, it's for first it, it can be shut down the factory bring things back it, it can be uh stop making the things in the factory for the u.s but continue making in the factory for china and asia so like gm is making cars over there for for china yeah hey keep keep at it that's great that's wonderful uh but but so it can be uh your own factory and you bring back some of it or all of it but it also and in many or most of the cases it's it's uh, outsourcing. So they found a foundry there, a machine shop, uh, a plastic injection molder, a wire harness maker, you know, any of these kinds of things. And they're having that work done at a contract manufacturer, just like they would in the U.S. And because they could get it for 20, 30, 40 percent less. And and then they say, huh, this isn't this, not, you know, it's not working out so well and, and the risks are too high. And then they have to come back here and find a, an equivalent supplier here. And they have to do the math and see that when they do the math, that in, like I say, 20, 30% of the cases, the math works out. And in, in, in the rest of the cases, it doesn't quite work out. And you can, and you, maybe you should wait until, until it does. So how can the government entice businesses to reshore? How does that work? How, what does that look like? The, I, don't, I don't like entice and I don't like incentives. Uh, I, I like level the playing field okay. because the reality is that uh, well, I, I took 180 cases of comparing China to the U.S. Where, where, where company people went in, procurement people went in and used our total cost of ownership estimator and they input the FOB or XWorks price, U.S. 30, 40 percent high. And then they answer a bunch of other questions and it adds in the duty and the freight and the carrying cost of inventory and the intellectual property 
uh, loss risk, the uh, tr travel cost, if there is, and, and a series of these other things. And, and when they get that done, uh, it turns out that, as I say, 20, 30% of the uh, work makes sense to, to bring back. So, so the, the, the key is to get the companies to do the TCO and for the government, where the if there's a 30% gap now and, and the company does the total cost calculation, it comes down to a, say a 10% gap, they're gonna say, well, I, 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 you know, I sharpened my pencil, I did everything, you're still 10% off. And that's where the government needs to uh, put much more resources into skilled workforce. So like in Germany, where 60% of the kids go into apprenticeships, we're here 5% go into apprenticeships. So we need much more apprenticeship program. We need a lot more engineers, fewer anthropologists, sociologists, basket weavers, what have you, but more, more engineers. So, so, so skilled workforce, absolutely critical. And then we, we need to get the dollar down. So I've been preaching, get, it, get the dollar down for 20 years. And the last year, the dollar's gone up by 10%. So I was going to say, yeah, it's gone the opposite way. Because, why? Because we've raised our interest rates the most and the, the money comes in here to take advantage of that high interest rate. So, but we need, there's a methodology called the market access charge that would charge the companies or countries that store their money here, maybe a quarter percent a year, half a percent, whatever it takes to get them to pull some of the money out and let the U.S., which is, has been a great place to be a bank, but let it become a, a wonderful place to be a factory again. And so, so there's, you can do, we would do those two things, skilled workforce, get the dollar down 20, 30 percent, and uh, in terms of taxes, not, not raise the corporate income tax and keep one of the key provisions, which is called immediate expensing. So the, with, say five years ago, 10 years ago, if you bought a new lathe or mill or something like that, you wrote it off over five or seven years, you depreciated it, you know, over that time period. Whereas with immediate expensing, you write the whole thing off the year when you get installed. And so the, so what happens, I've met companies and, and they tell me that they were having a really good year, making a lot of money. And the accountant said, you better buy another machine boss because otherwise you're going to pay too much taxes. They buy another $200,000 machine. And now that helps them increase their, their output, their productivity, become more competitive. So, keep, so that, that immediate expensive is very important to motivate companies to make the investments to make the U.S. more competitive. Is it safe to assume that because of the last two years and the increase in the amount of businesses that are reshoring, that the government is leaning in more? I mean, how have they been in the last decade since you started? Well, I, I met with Obama. That's got to be uh, t t t 10 years ago, something like that. Yeah. And, and he wanted reshoring to happen. He called it insourcing for some strange reason. But the uh, but he didn't do much about it. A little money here, a little money there. Didn't do much. Uh, Trump wanted it, but his methodology was to pound on the table and, and yell at companies and tell them to bring their work back. And that didn't work very well. And then <clears throat> Biden... Um, has 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 done some some things that are good like the chips act mm -hmm. <clears throat> and they have some money for the ev batteries and and rare earth minerals and they've spent some money on ppe like gowns and masks and things like that so they're, they're doing some things good 
but but you can't get there. Like I I describe everything Biden's done as a bandaid or a tourniquet. You got a you got a bad wound, and, and you put the tourniquet on. That isn't going to heal you. It'll, it'll keep you alive for a while. And yeah. so we believe you needed to do the Chips Act because the U.S. had fallen so far behind on producing chips. Yeah. But the, but if you we're going to build five or ten chip foundries, and every other country is going to build a couple of them, and so. Already, we're starting to have surpluses of chips. Inventories are building. And so when all these foundries come online in three years, there's going to be a huge surplus of chips. And the U.S. chips are going to be the most expensive because our buildings cost more and we, we, there's more regulations. Our labor is more expensive. And so we're going to have to find someone to buy our cheap chips, or, you know, our too expensive chips. And the, the, who assembles all the electronic products? China does. So we're going to be dependent on China to buy our chips, to make the electronic products to ship back to us. And that doesn't sound like a good plan. So we say that if the government's going to do what it does with the chips, it should level the playing field and make it so that companies decide to make the infotainment systems for cars, to make the servers, to make the electronic medical devices here, so that there'll be a market here for the chips that we're investing tens of billions of dollars to make. <laughs> Interesting. That's the first time, you know, Intel and uh, Intel was a huge announcement here in Ohio. Uh, yep. well, it's all anyone's talking about and, and, you know, deservedly so it's a big deal. Um, but that's probably the first time I heard someone talk about what the next three, four five years actually looks like after these things are built, because as you can imagine, it's extremely positive right now. You know, it's a great thing and we're creating jobs and there's a bunch of money coming and that's great. And and that, that that's true. However, what you just described didn't exactly seem like the ideal situation. No, so if you, like you say, you have to do the chips because you don't want us to be dependent on China and Taiwan for chips. But if you're gonna do that, then yeah, you sh they sh we should make sure the chip foundries succeed. And the thing they're gonna need most for success is a market. And the logical place for that market is right here. So you need to get the U.S. cost competitive by the skilled workforce, by getting the dollar down so that the uh, work will, so all those assemblies will happen here. Okay. So you mentioned earlier the, the trade deficit. Um, obviously a, a complicated issue question, something we've been dealing with for a very long time. But talk to us about what we're currently facing, how we got into this situation, and, and are there small and or medium ways we could start to get back to an equilibrium? You know, not, not a large scale, you know, snap your fingers and fix, but what can we start doing this year that, that might be able to help? Yeah, well, for, for companies, I, I say use the TCO estimator, our, our free software to do that analysis. That's for the big companies like the OEM. To, we say to buy smarter to recognize all those costs and risks for the for the contract manufacturers, the, the job shop kind of people, the people that sell up to the bigger companies to use the TCO estimator as a uh, sales tool to sell smarter. So I, I helped one company outside Chicago uh, show their customer that, that the uh, total cost was lower even though the price was higher. And that was the key to winning a 60, that six zero million dollar order by helping the customer understand the math. So I'm convinced that if 
a combination of the big companies do the math and the small companies help them do the math, you know, that, that that'll work out. Companies have to invest. The, the U.S. companies, big and small, tend to be sh- short term. They, they want profits now. Wall Street, personal, if you own it, et cetera. Whereas in, in Germany and China, uh, companies take this, you know, this 5, 10, 20 year perspective and they, they invest even in the bad years and and they hire, they, they bring in apprentices when things are, even if things are slow and they train them so they have a workforce, you know, two, four year, you know, two, three, four years from now. And so they take a longer perspective. So companies need to do better. The, uh, the uh, consumer needs to ask for um, made in USA products. Like one thing I, I encourage is retailers should have a sign up over the over the service desk or the checkout counter and it says has big flag and it says ask us about our made in usa products and, and i come up and i ask and they give me a printout and i, I say huh shirts aisle three shelf four okay because otherwise i've got to turn over 100 shirts to find maybe one that was made in the united states but if if they made it easy and people started to buy the made in usa ones and then the, the retailer says, hmm, this is working. Why don't we get more made in USA? And we have more on the shelf and the consumer buys more. And you got this virtuous spiral that, that starts to make everything better. So you get the consumer working, you get the retailer involved in doing the math correctly. The OEM does the math. The, the government you know, does what I said about uh, the dollar and the skilled workforce. Last year, 260,000, we're thinking, 300 350,000 this year that uh, we we could bring back a million a year if all the pieces would come together that way. So let's drill down on the consumer. That's such an interesting take, right? So I, I mean, if we just focus on retail, you know, you mentioned a pretty simple solve, but how do we get that across all retail and e-commerce, right? I mean, you know, you mentioned e-commerce, you have to think Amazon you know, is that even remotely possible for them to have something when you're shopping for anything? You know, it doesn't matter for it to say, hey, this was made in the USA. Like, how, do, how does that happen? How do we get businesses to do that? Look, a couple of things. One, if I were the czar, you know, the king, I, I would insist that on every e-commerce site that the country of origin of the product was identified. You can't yeah. just put it up there and sell it. You'd have to say what country it was made in. And and, and there should have to be a way, like on Amazon uh, or Walmart, there should be a way that you say, I want to buy something for my you know 14-year-old boy. I was thinking of a baseball bat. What do you have? Nothing made in USA. Okay, what's close to a baseball bat? Well, we've got a ball. <laughs> we got a glove. We got something, a hat. You know, something that you, that you could buy that's made in the United States. And... And I think that would help a lot. I've got this, I think, sort of cute story. I wrote, I wrote an article about how to get the consumer involved. And the, uh, I said, imagine that you're uh, out shopping. And let's, let's assume you, you, that you're just shopping because you like to shop. You know, a lot of people get gratification from shopping. And so you're, you're shopping and you're, you're looking at something and you're about to buy it and you see it's not made in the USA. Well, ask yourself, Am I buying this because I need it or just because I like to shop? And if it's just because you like to shop, then wait till you can find something that's made in the United States that you can buy just because you like to shop. And then think about, you'll still get the gratification of shopping 
and you'll give an American the gratification of having a job. Harry, you're an idealist like myself. I, that, <laughs> that is a, uh, you're talking about changing human and consumer behavior. It's tough, you know, that it, you're, you're, you're delaying that instant gratification. <laughs> I, I can do it for me. And, I know. and like here, let me mention here, I've got a, a hat. This hat is, is made by a friend at a company called Unionware in Newark, New Jersey. And they make baseball caps like this and, and various kinds of bags. And they have a great video about reshoring. He, he, he sells this, Mitch, Mitch uh, Khan tells the story much better than I do. And, and he's, it's big, he's got, I don't know, 50, 75 employees. You know, as tough a business to have in the US as anywhere, uh, as anything, you know, apparel. And, uh, and, and he's made, made this great hat for me and, and I'm happy to show it off. <laughs> Um, well, this was great, Harry. Listen, we're going to get you out of here on this. Well, I let me tell you one more thing. I just want to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. another friend of mine puts out these uh, shirts. Love it. Manufacturing is cool t-shirts because part of the challenge if we're going to have the skilled workforce is for America's youth to recognize that manufacturing is cool, yep. that they can have a solid, well-paid, safe, enjoyable job with the satisfaction of actually making something as opposed to maybe just sitting shoving papers around on a desk somewhere and make as much money or more and have the, if they get really good at a specific thing like tool making or welding, you know, a great opportunity to start your own company, be your own boss, make, make lots of money. And uh, so we, we encourage everybody that, that still has that choice to, to think about manufacturing as a career. I love it. Yeah, we, we've talked about that at great lengths on this podcast, that manufacturing has gotten a really, really bad rap. It does not have the right branding. Uh, even even me growing up, it, it just was never presented as an option. You know, the only option presented was go to college, which, again, yep. you know, I don't think that's a bad thing, uh, but it's just not the path for everybody, right? You have to present multiple different but, paths. But, but, but even like in Germany, as I said, 60% of the kids go into an apprenticeship. So kids that are above average on, you know, math and science and, you know, reading and everything else, they're go who, who here would be said, oh, of course you're going to college. Yep. They hear, there they'd be said, well, think about an apprenticeship because you're probably going to do at least as well at that or maybe better than if you went to, to university. Yep. So we, we need to show them, the, all, all kids, that they've got that choice. Do you think, I lied to you, I got one more question. Do you think government or private business should drive apprenticeships? Who, who is responsible for providing more of those? It's a tough question. Well, the, the, the best system that I know is in Switzerland, very similar to the German system. And there, there's an, the, the manufacturing association, something like NAM or something like AMT, that they they organize the apprenticeship system they have you know thousands of companies and they all follow the same model and in a given community there'll be a training center where you go for your ongoing sort of academic and theoretical education and in the company you get your hands-on training but it's it's very organized so so ideally you know the the say the state the uh, Association of Manufacturers should do that. Uh, and, but if, if they don't, for whatever reason, then 
then it's up to the companies because finally companies used to think they can wait and they can hire somebody who already has skills but there's nobody around anymore so they need to get the kids in high school or right out of high school and get them trained into an apprenticeship attract them get them trained and 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 make it attractive enough that that most of them stay instead of leaving to go to work for GE or GM or somebody else. Got it. Um, Okay. Last, last question for any businesses or people uh, listening or that will listen to this podcast that might be interested in working with you. Give us, give us the 32nd uh, promo of the Reshoring Initiative and and how it all works. (laughs) So uh, I say first we, uh, by showing how many jobs are coming back in each industry by product, it lets companies see their competitors are doing it. So what we should do it too, at least think about it. We provide the TCO estimator for them to analyze what can be brought back profitably. We have an import substitution program where the companies can uh, identify a product they're really good at making. We tell them who the biggest importers are of that product so that the company can go to them and convince the importers to buy from the domestic company instead of importing. So we've got a broad range of products for them, processes and methods for them. Where can everybody find you? Oh, I'm in uh, Maine in this, well, for her, www.reshorenow.org is our website. And from there they can, they, there's a place to email me. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Harry, listen, we really appreciate it. We love the hat. We love the shirt. Manufacturing is cool. We do need to spread that message. Thank you again for coming on and uh, good luck with everything this year. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you, Paul. It was wonderful. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.